And we're live <coughs> here in the Buddha Center, the Deer Park, on a wonderful Sunday afternoon, evening, morning, midnight, depending on your location and the settings you've chosen for Second Life. So everyone, let's get in the mood, no? Everyone, uh, put your meditator face on. Sit down, make sure you're sitting in real life, turned off the music, shut down Facebook, uh, cross your legs, straighten your back, close your eyes, yeah, you can open your eyes if you want, but let's get meditative. The teachings of the Lord Buddha are meant to address a problem. That's really, I think, how we should look at the teachings of the Buddha. It proposes that there's a problem and offers a solution. I suppose you could generalize and say that's the nature of religion. And you might even be so... <coughs> if you wanted to be <coughs> negative about it, um, you could say it's, it's the religion game. It's how people... How, how religions attract followers. Sometimes by... Uh, pointing out a problem, well, always pro pointing out a problem that, that people weren't aware of. But it seems often that actually creating a problem where there was none, um, proposing a problem where it isn't obvious that there is one. Um, in order to make people afraid or, or concerned, and then proposing to have the answer and the way out. And I think it's true that yes, there there's a great potential for abuse here. And certainly there is a lot of abuse that goes on. Many religious systems, cults and so on, exploit um, people's fears and, and their attachments in order to become rich and powerful and famous and so on. But it, it's essentially the the um, the role of a physician it's the the way of a, of a doctor to be able to point out a problem and offer a solution 
And sometimes the patient isn't even aware there's a problem. They go to the doctor for a checkup, and leave the checkout, the checkup with some bad news. Other times they come to the doctor with a problem, not knowing what the cause is, and the doctor is able to explain the cause and offer a solution. So th 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 both of these um, examples work as um, in comparison to the Buddhist teaching. Some people live their lives with no thought that anything's wrong, and they might go to see the Buddha or go to see a Buddhist teacher just for for discussion or to learn something or so on <clears throat> and find out through their dialogue and through practicing the you know through practicing meditation and so on that actually there was a, a big problem that they weren't aware of that they were setting themselves up for for a great amount of, of suffering in the future. But I think for most of us, the other form is the one that, that we're best able to relate to. It's the idea that we have suffering, we have a problem. We know there's a problem, we know that life's not perfect. We're able to see suffering in our, in our lives. I mean, don't think... I don't think many people would deny that, that it exists in, in our lives. So I, I think this is important because it then dictates the way we approach the Buddhist teaching and it, it will shape our, our practice, our way of relating and um, engaging in the practice of the Buddhist teaching. in the way that we we ask ourselves what's the problem and we remind ourselves that that what we're doing here is trying to discover the problem and find a way to remove the problem Why I think we should we have to keep this in mind is because it's easy to lose sight of it in the practice of of Buddhism. And the Buddha was, the Buddha gave several examples of this. That some people come to the Buddhist teaching and simply study it, engage in intensive study, memorization, uh, intellectual discussion and debate. Uh, many people nowadays engage in reading, studying. This is this is for many people um, the way of 
of practicing a religion is to study it. For many people, the, the practice is not so important as the study and the um, intellectual appreciation of the teachings. For other people, it can be the, the, the memorization of the teachings. There are, um, in Buddhist circles, there are people who actually are able to remember vast tracts of, of, of uh, discourses and, and teachings of the Buddha. Right now we have a uh, a project on the in, over the over email. Um, it's a group project to memorize part of the Buddhist teaching, starting from um, the very the first sutta in the in in the Pali Suttanta Pitika. And people do this as a religious practice. This is common in other religions as well. I know in in Judaism it's um, it's common or or it's um, you can find people who are actually able to apparently take a um, Jewish Bible, the Torah stick a needle through it or, or theoretically you know pretend that if they stuck a needle through the Torah, they would be able to tell you which word, based on the first word, that it punctured. They would be able to tell you the word on each page from beginning to end. So, th th I think this, is, this has been lost in the modern era. There isn't so much of this um, reliance on, on the memorization of texts. But uh, it, it certainly has been and continues to be in religious circles an important religious practice, as though memorizing and chanting, um, being able to chant, being able to recite the teachings uh, of the Buddha, being able to parrot it back. I suppose in modern days you find this in what we call quote dropping, where people are able to uh, quote famous teachers. And I find this... Um, actually quite common in many schools of Buddhism that you'll you'll find people rather than even quoting the Buddha they're constantly quoting their teachers well my teacher says this and my teacher says that as though somehow it it, it made it true or it, it had some bearing on on the person that they were talking to um, so 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 with without perhaps the ability to explain it or or even just this this reliance on that as a as a religious practice to be able to quote scripture and to um, recite and to chant and to memorize and then the buddha said there are other people who who teach um and even become great teachers without, or, or by at the same time neglecting their own practice. People who take all of their time 
to help other people or to teach, to become famous teachers. There was a story in the Buddha's time, um, or maybe it was after the Buddha's time, but a story in ancient time about this monk who who fell into this um, trap. I think I've ta told this story before. He was uh, a great teacher, and all of his students became enlightened to some degree or other. Uh, some of them became Sotapanna, some of them became Sakitakami, some of them became Anakami. And he himself had 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 neglected his own practice and was actually just a guy who who happened to be able to teach quite well. He was able to explain the Buddha's teaching in such a way that people were able to practice it. He had an intellectual appreciation of it, but he himself had never practiced or never uh, exerted himself in in intensive meditation practice. And so. You know, all of his students were reaching these higher states of enlightenment and he himself was running around teaching and helping other people. And one day one of his students decided, asked himself, one of his students who was an anagami, which means someone who has attained the third stage of enlightenment and is destined when they die to never come back to the world again, but instead be reborn in um, the god realms or the brahma realms and from there become fully enlightened and fully released, enter into the pure abodes, they're called. And he asked himself, wonder, you know, here I am, I've, I've realized this stage of enlightenment and all of these other people have, I wonder what stage of enlightenment our teacher has realized. And through his... Um, his incredible strength of mind, he was able to discern for himself just by thinking about it, just by examining the situation and by sending his mind to the in this direction. He was able to, to ascertain that, that his teacher had indeed not attained any level of enlightenment. And he thought, oh, well, this won't do. This is, this is not a proper state of affairs. And he's, he thought to himself out of gratitude for his teacher that he owed it to him to... Um, to help him become enlightened as well. So he went up to his teacher, and and right when his teacher was was very very busy, waited for when his teacher was busy, helping people, meeting with students, and so on. And he came up to him and he said, uh, "Teacher, I, I'm, I, I, uh, I think uh, I would like to request that it's time for a lesson." And the teacher said, "I'm sorry. I don't. How, how can how could I possibly have time for a lesson right now? I have many duties and people coming to see me and so on. I'm far too busy for that." And so this student of his sat down, crossed his legs, and went into a a an absorb an absorbed state, and started floating off the ground. And he opened his eyes and said to the teacher, "He said, you don't have time even for yourself." How could you possibly have time to teach anything to me? And he floated out the room, out of the room, now showing to the teacher that that um, you know, indeed his students were on a higher level than he was. And this, of course, shook the teacher up visibly. 
and he decided that he'd had enough. Um, this teaching business was was obviously not the proper way to approach the Buddha's teaching. As the Buddha said, set yourself in what is right. Um, set yourself in what is right first. Only then should you help others. And so he decided to go off into the forest. Uh, but he was such a famous teacher that it was very difficult. He had to find a forest where there was no other people around, where he wouldn't be bothered by people coming to ask him about meditation practice. And finally he found this place, no humans in the area. And so he started his meditation. And he he worked very hard, walking back and forth, sitting down. And little did he know that that, that you know, you can't really go anywhere where you're going to be alone, that, that whether there are humans or not, there are always beings around, whether they be animals or in in this case angels. There were angels in the forest. Uh, watching him, and that actually came down and started meditating with him. When he walked, they walked. When he sit, they sit. When he sat, they sat. And so he practiced and practiced and gained nothing from it. He was pushing very, very hard, and some would say he was probably practicing too hard, pushing himself too hard, wanting too much to become enlightened. And of course, the wanting, the needing, the desire was blocking him. It was stopping him from attaining the very thing he was looking for. And so he got more and more frustrated and more and more upset until finally he broke down. You know, he's, he, he was under such pressure that, you know, I'm this great teacher. If I don't become enlightened, uh, what will I say to my students? And until he finally snapped and he sat down and he started crying. And... Uh, he was crying, and suddenly he heard he heard someone else crying, and he opened his eyes, and there's this angel sitting down beside him crying. Crying and crying and crying, and he he stops crying, and he says, what are you doing? And, and the angel said, the angel stops crying and said, oh, I was, I was crying. And he said, why? And he said, well, you know, you're the great teacher. Whatever you do, that's got to be the way to become enlightened. So I've just been following you. When you walk, you walk I walked. When you sat, I sat. When you started crying, I started crying. I figured that's got to be the way to become enlightened. And th this hit him hit him quite uh, hard as well. made him made him quite ashamed of his behavior. And as a result of that, he was able to wake up, let go, and 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 practice in such a way as to become enlightened. And the point of the story being, um, teaching people is not the most important point and it's easy to get off track in this way going out and trying to explain to other people how great Buddhism is <clears throat> it's um, something you can remember it's always a sign of immaturity when people are trying to teach when people approach you and start teaching you uninvited, uh, unasked when people start giving advice without you having asked or even imitate, intimated um, a desire for any, uh, but this this is this is very common, especially when people begin to practice. It's called um, uh, it's it's called it's an upakilesa. It's a defilement of insight. It's something that arises when you start practicing correctly. You start to think, "Wow, everyone else should practice this way," and you lose sight of your own practice and start trying to teach others.
Um, another thing that people often do in in that that the, that the Buddha mentioned that that people will often do in in approaching the the teachings of the Buddha is to think about it, to ponder on it, and to work it out work it out in their mind. Um, you know, people who debate or people who like to think and like to create. Um, people who write stories or or write books, um, you know, people who relate to the Buddha's teaching intellectually. So these are these are the sorts of of ways that people interact with the Buddha's teaching that are not um, getting closer to to a a solution to the problem. And so. It, this is why it's important for us to always be asking ourselves, what is the problem? You know, the problem is not that we don't know enough, that we haven't read enough of the Buddhist teaching. It isn't that we don't know how to explain to other people. There are some meditators who are never able to explain to others, who find it very difficult to put into words the realizations that they have. And on the other hand, there are people who work very hard to be able to explain things to others, and yet themselves are gaining nothing and are, progr are not progressing on the path. the the real problem um i guess you could say is 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 twofold and the problem that we have is that one our minds are not our minds are not tranquil enough and two our minds are lacking in wisdom and understanding so the buddha's approach to to the problem and to finding a solution is twofold. It is one to to calm the mind through the practice of meditation, to um, focus on an object, focus on on reality in a in a way that uh, stops the mind from flitting around superficially that allows us to grasp reality or grasp the object in front of us in a meaningful way to uh, focus our minds and to calm our minds down and you can do this either with a a conceptual object or a um, part of reality so a conceptual object would be something that you create in your mind whether it be a light or a sound or um, a concept a, a being a god an angel, um, an idea, and reality would be something that is arising and ceasing, that is coming and going in the in in experiential reality already. That isn't created by the mind. So, watching the breath, watching the stomach, watching the feet, uh, watching pain or thoughts or emotions. And this serves to calm the mind down. The, 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 the solution here is that our minds no longer give rise to things like greed, anger, um, depression, worry, fear, and so on. Our minds become fixed, focused, happy, calm, peaceful, relaxed. 
and for all intents and purposes become free from suffering for a time. Now the reason why this is not enough, of course, is um, it's still a contrived state that we've created this um, this state through the work that we've done, through the, the pressure of our concentration, which is able to suppress the defilements. This is a good thing, because it makes our mind very clear and very pure. But it's a good thing primarily because it then allows us to uh, fix things decisively, completely, and irrevocably, or um, um, permanently. Because no matter how much focus and concentration you, you apply to reality, um, that, that focus and concentration alone is not going to change your mind. It's not going to change the way you think. It's not going to change your habits. Um, it, it's, it's not going to cut off the, the potential for um, the arising of defilement. Wisdom, on the other hand, does. Wisdom is the, the final solution and the final cure. And wisdom is something that comes about through this clarity of mind. Once you have a clear mind, it's imperative that you um, focus entirely, solely on ultimate reality. Whether you've been practicing to calm the mind based on a concept or whether ultimate reality when you're practicing to gain wisdom and insight you have to focus on ultimate reality because you, because you can't under you can't come to understand um, reality any other way you can't come to understand things as they are when you're creating the object of your attention So, in, in in essence, then we have a twofold problem. We have the problem of the defilements of of the negative mind states, and then we have the problem of the reason why they arise. To to stop them from arising is easy. You focus the mind, but to remove the cause of their arising, you have to go deeper, and you have to come to understand why they arise. the The reason why defilements arise is through a misunderstanding of reality for what it is, not seeing things as they are, a superficial grasp of the experience in front of us at every moment. As an example, or there's many examples. One example is pain. When you're sitting and you start to feel pain, um, it's a very superficial experience where right away. Um, convinced that it's a negative experience, that it's unpleasant, it's negative, that, and we're right away acting on our our habit, our habitual way of approaching problems, we've already decided and, and begun to react and switch positions or um, find a solution, a way to get rid of the pain. When we focus on things like pain on a deeper level, when we look at them clearly and objectively, we come to see that actually it's not so at all. There's nothing intrinsically negative about things like pain or um, people yelling at us or um, smells or tastes or 
sounds, sights. The experience of the sense, even even when there are people yelling at us or, or, or attacking us or mm, unpleasant sights or sounds or smells, tastes, feelings, thoughts, bad memories, worries about the future, you know, problems in our life, um, not having enough money, not having a job, not having a future, um, and so on and so on, hunger, thirst, hot, cold. When we, folk, when we examine these things on a deeper level, which is exactly what we're doing through meditation, we come to see that it's, it's, it's not, we come to see things in a, in a quite a different way, that there actually is nothing negative about any of these things. And we don't react, we, we lose this habitual reaction and, and tendency to compartmentalize reality into the good and the bad, into what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. You know, some people like it hot, some like it cold. Um, some people like loud music, some people hate loud music. It, it's actually a, a habit that we gain in our mind, and these can change and develop over time, obviously. You know, people, when you take your first sip of beer or when you take your first cigarette, it, it's terrible. But over time, you begin to change your habits and decide for yourself that it's a positive, a pleasant experience. People can go to the extent of of believing that, or of, of perceiving smoke entering their lungs as being a pleasant experience. And so really this is all we're doing in meditation. We're not trying to change things. Once we have this level of calm, we simply start to see things for what they are, and we start to understand things on a far deeper level. Um, to the point that everything that arises we're able to see it for what it is. We lose this sense of attachment to it, this habitual reaction that it's good or it's bad, this uh, identification of it being me or mine. And the mind is able to find peace and freedom um, simply through wisdom, through understanding. Because there's nobody that, uh, I think we can all agree that nobody wants suffering. Everybody wants to find peace and happiness. And so the reason that we create suffering for us is not because we, on a deep down level, want to suffer. It's because we don't understand that that's what we're doing to ourselves. And once we can teach ourselves, once we can convince our minds that that's what we're doing, that, that this reaction, uh, this mental process is creating suffering for us, then we'll stop. We stop naturally. There's no question about that. It's a theory. This is the theory I'm proposing to you. But it's a perfectly, absolutely testable and verifiable theory. If you start to meditate, you'll see that all it takes is a deeper, more um, comprehensive understanding of the things that you're already experiencing and already reacting to. Once you see them for what they are and you see the process and you see the way your mind is reacting, slowly but surely you'll change that. You'll convince yourself over time and with effort that 
um, what you're doing is hurting yourself and you'll change it's a natural process you don't have to want to change you don't have to wish for yourself to become enlightened or even strive in any way the striving is just to see things for what they are and the closer you become to you come to seeing things as they are the more free and and uh, at at ease and at peace with yourself you become so there you have the problem and a a i think fairly clear solution um, i think that's uh, a uh, that's enough for today i'll give everyone some time to ask questions if you have any and otherwise we can just sit here and and meditate together and you're all welcome to go on with your lives i'd like to thank you all for coming i appreciate to have such a um such an interested group of people who return again and again to hear these talks and to support the Buddha Center in its projects. I'd like to wish for you all to um, be able to put into practice these teachings and um, to be able to practice meditation for the development of your own selves and for the attainment of real and true peace, happiness and freedom from suffering for you all. Thank you all for coming. Have a great day.